Welcome back to the Soundtracker Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Peacock. So I'm not doing a main episode this week with it being 4th of July weekend, and I'm just going to do something that sort of updates the show for everyone and gives you a bonus preview. You're going to get to hear a little bit of Tank Girl with Scott Benson in this episode. So, okay. So first of all, again, everyone who's been listening to this show since the start, thank you so much. And anybody who's joined in, thank you so much. It has been wonderful watching this show grow over the last almost a year now. It's going to be a year at the end of August. So about two months from when I'm recording this, it'll be a full year which is really hard to believe. I actually went back and listened to one of my early episodes and was kind of cringing at how I sounded, you know, not not quite having this down yet. But so hopefully you've enjoyed watching me grow as I've done this as well. And, you know, just again, everyone, everyone who's listened to the show since the start. Thank you so much. So I hope that it shows how much I love doing the show. And I do. I love doing this show. And it has been pretty much held together by bubblegum since the start of the year. Uh, I just had some things go on. You know, my, my dad got sick and pretty much since January, my days have started at six in the morning and now about five in the morning with it being summer and having to get up and beat the 100 degree heat outside to get working. And they end at about nine 30, 10 o'clock at night. And the only days that I have that end before that are when I'm doing something for the show. You know, if I've got to cut things early so I can watch a movie or do this or do that. And you know, it, there have been times over the course of this last six months where I've sort of been like, I don't know, because this is pretty much at this point just an expensive hobby for me. And having to cut things out, you know, obviously the things that I'm going to cut <laughs> are going to be the, the, the expensive hobby sort of thing that I've been doing and not the things that are paying my bills, uh, which is, you know, I hated having to do a Patreon in the first place. I, I, my initial plan when I started the show was that I would do a Patreon, but not lock anything, you know, like a, a tip jar, basically. And you just talk to some people that have shows. They were just like, it just, unfortunately, it's a great idea, but it, it just won't work that way. And so I sat off on doing this because my initial conceit was, you know, how am I going to do four episodes a month? You know, every one of these episodes, I have about 10 hours into each of these episodes, and that's without editing them, because thank God for Ross who edits these for me, it would add an extra five, six hours to every one of these. And I'm not saying it's hard work. Like I've got to watch a movie. I've got to listen to an album a few times. Uh, I've got to put notes together, you know, record, but it's about 10 hours into each of these and adding bonus episodes. I was like, how am I going to double that workload with as long as my days are and as busy as everything is. And thankfully I sort of started looking at other shows and saw that there are plenty of them that do just one, two episodes a month. And I was like, I think I can swing two right now. So as I said before, my plan is to eventually do a third bonus episode, but that's going to just come once I have enough patrons and I can sort of maybe not have to work quite as much as I have been in the last few months. So, you know, I would love to do a third, a third episode here and eventually maybe I will, but I'm also editing the bonus episodes myself. I don't want to put that off on Ross. So that adds an extra, the bonus episodes themselves now are, are approaching like 15 hours to get one thrown together. And I'm not saying that and like, Oh, feel bad for me. I'm just, just letting you know, I don't know if some people saw the two bonus episodes and we're like, that, that doesn't seem like a lot, but it's just, these, these are very time consuming. Again, not hard work. It's very fun to do. It's just, it's just finding time for them can be very difficult. And there were times where 
in the first half of this year where I was like, I should just cut the show out. It's too much right now. Come back and do it later. But I really like doing this. I really hope that it shows. So as far as the Patreon goes, eventually when I do get to the third bonus episodes, I want to try to do something different with them. Right now it's business as usual. I'm just doing two extra movies a month. And that's because, again, I've got 1700 movies on a list and that's only going over two decades to cover. So what I want to do with the third bonus episodes, I have yeah, I have a couple of bands and musicians that want to, you know, have said they would come on and do interviews. Uh, I have an idea for, you know, it might just be, and sometimes it might even be just a standard episode. I'll do three movies a month. But I have these ideas that I'd like to do uh, video games, you know, Tony Hawk, like talk about the Tony Hawk soundtracks. There's a whole thing I want to do, and this is going to be if I get enough patrons to, because it's going to be like a patron interactive thing. It's going to be called Send Me to Hell. And every month I'm going to pick like five movies off of my list that are like, you know, 20% Rotten Tomato score sort of movies. And I'm going to let the audience vote on which movie I and some unlucky guest have to cover. So there's a lot of things that I want to do with third bonus episodes. But for now, like I said, it's going to be just the standard practice business as usual sort of movie of the week. But I really do want this show to continue. And it's, you know, it's not. And unfortunately, the way things are, it's becoming less feasible with all that I have going on, which is why the support of the listeners is is extremely important. So again, if you like this show, if you've enjoyed this show over the last year, please check out the Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash soundtracker. The $3 tier is general support for the show, but I'm going to start doing something. I am actually going to add one extra bonus every month. It's going to be one episode a month. And basically what I'm going to do is a very short form sort of episode where maybe I, and just me personally, I do a short episode where I dig into one of the albums that I've suggested in the further listening or a movie that I've suggested in further listening, or maybe even just recommendations or, or some combination of the three, but short form sort of things where, you know, I watch a lot of movies a month. I listen to a lot of different music every month and it might just be me saying, Hey, this was good. I like this, check this out, but that will be something that will be available to all tiers and I'm going to do one of those a month. That's going to start in July. I figured that's, I'm trying to think of ways that I can do this where I work smarter, not harder. And that's a very simple thing for me to knock out every month. Just, and just for extra stuff, the $6 tier gets you the two movies, the $8 tier gets you both movies. And then I'm going to start doing mini series at some point this year, probably towards the end of the year. And the plan with those, I have a few different things that I would like to do. I want to do these sort of mini series where I talk about Yellow Jacket specifically is what gave me this idea. TV shows that use music really well, because that's a big thing too. And I'm not going to do these non-spoilery. I'm not going to do a standard form episode. It's not going to be me breaking down every episode and what it was like. But Yellow Jackets has great use of music. Station Eleven, it's off the top of my head. Those two right away are ones that you know, sort of inspired this. And I think I could get some really good episodes out of. I have an idea for a sort of tournament style thing with the best needle drops in movies where again, when I have enough patrons to do this sort of one where we do a voting thing and sort of compile them together and then do maybe like just tournament style elimination thing of, you know, best example I can think of off the top of my head, even though it's the most generic is probably Layla and Goodfellas, but you know, moments like that in movies where it's a song that you just tie into a certain scene in a movie and do some sort of tournament that breaks down why those scenes work. So I have some really good ideas for this going forward as far as the miniseries go. So again, the only way I can do that, though, is with support of listeners like you who have been here with me since the beginning, or even if you're a newcomer. And, you know, I hate having to make a pitch like this, but it, it is something that I have to do because I have reached a point where if I have to cut anything out to make time for other things, unfortunately, it would be the show. And I don't want to do that. I love doing this. And I've really enjoyed watching the audience grow over the last year. And I've enjoyed 
you know, seeing seeing the growth that I've shown as a host, even I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but like listening to those old episodes where I still do a lot of ums and us, but there's there's good editing for that. But just leading conversation along, I've gotten I think I've gotten better at doing that as this has gone on. And I, I think I will continue to do so. So if you've been with me since the beginning, you know, as I've always said, thank you so much. And, you know, right now, any support is is greatly appreciated because you know, like I said, this show has been sort of held together by duct tape and, and chewing gum since about January. And it doesn't look like there's much of an end in sight for that. Just it's it's been long days, uh, you know, working, getting off, going, doing a few things I need to do, nursing home, going, seeing my dad's cat, taking care of that, all this other stuff that I got to do. And I don't typically even sit down to eat dinner until about 930, 10 o'clock at night right now. So it's just I, I I've been burned out and I've been trying to think of ways to alleviate that. And unfortunately, you know, like I said, the only thing that would make sense would be what is currently just sort of an expensive hobby for me. And I don't want to do that. So that's kind of where this pitch is coming from. And yeah, this is the best time to do it, too, because this is going to come out on the first of the month. And the way Patreon's billing works is they charge you the first the first of the month and when you sign up. So, you know, best time to sign up is in the first week or two of the month. That way you're not getting two charges within like a week of one another. So anyway, there, there's my pitch. And as far as the show goes, the main show goes, you know, it's going to continue being business as usual as long as I can keep doing this. I'm going to just keep bringing you the same stuff you've gotten all this time. You're going to be getting different movies. And I do think one of the things that sort of helped with this show is when I realized that it's just as much about the movie as it is about the soundtrack. Because, yeah, I've said early in the show that I can't do The Crow every week. I can't do Batman forever four times a year. You know, there's there's a ton of really classic soundtracks. But as you've seen in episodes like Major League or Roadhouse, there's plenty of material to be found with soundtracks that aren't well known and and movies that are just classic movies that happen to have soundtracks. There's so many of them that, that don't have a classic soundtrack, but they had a soundtrack along with them. The movie itself is great. So once I sort of came to that realization is when it sort of opened up this show for me. And it's been really fun to sort of move the show in that direction. And I think it's going to give this show a much longer life in the long run. So anyway, I'll quit talking here. I'll give you some of Scott's episode with Tank Girl coming up. It's uh, I'm not going to do just one big chunk. It's going to just be like various cuts from the episode. So that's why it might jump from one subject to the next. But I think you'll be able to follow along where it's changed from one subject to another pretty easily. Like the last time Scott and I talked about a whole bunch of different things. So, you know, you're not going to be confused as to why we're talking about Tank Girl one second and talking about Forrest Gump in another second. So anyway. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. I hope that your 4th of July weekend is amazing. And yeah, like I said, any support for this show is going to help keep this thing continuing. So www.patreon.com forward slash soundtracker. Here's your preview of Scott Benson's Tank Girl. Just so you know that again, I'm not half-assing these episodes. All right. Have a great weekend. Um. Okay. So this next one, this is look, if I put a snippet out, like sometimes people will put like, here's a snippet of my bonus episode for the Patreon, like a preview. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm leaving in just for people that have never seen this before. MGM insisted on cutting a scene of Tank Girl and her kangaroo boyfriend Booga reclining after sex, despite <laughs> spending $5,000 on a prosthetic penis <laughs> for the Booga character. In, in, in fact, director Rachel Talalay fought a battle with the studio over that particular edit. And the studio also insisted on removing scenes of Tank Girl and Booga in bed together from the video and DVD release of the film when it came out. Oh, so, like, God, that was like cowards. a big dispute. But I love that they spent $5,000 on a prosthetic kangaroo man dick. And yeah. 
see all of this makes me like this movie more i know like, this is yeah. what i'm talking about like i said there's the studio fucked this up so badly but it feels it's just such a like it, well again we'll get into it more but the the it's such a oddball it's yeah. such an oddball it is it, it is a very it is a very very weird movie i feel like it is one of those that really lends itself to sort of like you know, reappraisal. I do think that, and I think we talked about this in the uh, older episode um, that I was on about how people kind of like want to reclaim like Batman and Robin or whatever and be like, it's like secretly really good and stuff. And it's like, no, it's it's not. It was just bad kitsch from the time, whatever. Tank Girl, I also think is like, it's kind of an audacious fiasco of a movie, I feel like. And those are fun. Like, I appreciate those. I'd rather have that than like a really just dull movie, certainly, than stuff. There's definitely aspects of this I can... I would be into uh yeah super reappraising um and stuff but it would make it a lot easier if it had things like the five thousand dollar kangaroo ticket <laughs> for sure <laughs> all right and we'll close this a little bit up with two really good ice tea stories mm. so ice tea was in an interview on a show where the host made fun of him for doing tank girl and his reply was simply i was paid eight hundred thousand dollars to be in that movie and the host just moved on <laughs> yeah fair fair it looked like a huge, like, their prosthesis and stuff. We were, like, in such an era at that point of, like, really big, heavy makeup and prosthesis stuff. I cannot imagine what it was like being, like, and moving around in those things. There was so much animatronics just around the head and so much. Yeah, really your face is constantly moving. Yeah, and, like, they, they're kind of big, bulky sort of body costumes and stuff. Yeah, it just seemed like, yeah, that'd be bad. And they were filming in the fucking desert. Yeah, it sounds. It just feels like that would have been hell. So maybe, yeah, eight eight hundred grand if you can pull it, go for it. This actually leads to the final point here that you're talking about the prosthesis and stuff. So when it came to the Rippers, they sent out requests to every major makeup and effects person in the industry, including Stan Winston. Mm-hmm. So she had considered him to be the best, but she never expected to hear back from him because he was. Oh, yeah, Stan Winston was the best. Uh, when she did, she just assumed that we're no we're going to be able to pay what he wants. They arranged a meeting with Stan Winston. And again, you hear all these, Stan Winston was cool as shit. You hear stories like this, but he insisted on being given the project, saying mm-hmm. that the Rippers would be the best characters that his studios ever had the opportunity to do. <laughs> and they cut their usual prices in half just to meet the film's budget. Oh, that's so, nice. I know. Each of each Ripper's makeup took four hours to apply. So there were three oh, technicians God. from the studio on each person's articulations during filming no puppets mm-hmm. no digital effects were used the actors said it was like wearing a couch however ice tea never once complained and in an interview when they asked him why he said it's better than prison <laughs> god just fantastic just excellent he's an excellent poster uh even then it's like a, these are just good little little one-liners funny fuck he's so funny such a funny guy yeah he is and i saw a teenager walking down in the middle of town the other day in small town pennsylvania wearing a body count t-shirt and i'm like i'm like i hope this isn't just like a like it's totally fine if this is just like a like a fun like retro thing you you picked up but i do kind of want to believe that there's like a 15 year old body like a whole generation of 15 year old body count fans out there i mean Cop killer would probably be a pretty Listen, popular sentiment. It, uh, cop, cop killer has never been more relevant. It has, <laughs> it, it has never it has never gone out of relevance since it was released. So yeah. <laughs> and the director Rachel Talale blames studio edits on the final product. She actually claims that a full hour of this movie was cut, and you can find oh, a whole shit. list of. I know you can find. <laughs> this is the second time where we've. T- this is another one where like. We've talked about movies that were severely cut. Batman yeah. Forever has the same deal. You can find a list of what was online. Uh, here's one that stood out to me when I was looking at this list. 
there's a scene, the scene in which uh, Keasley tor tortures Tank Girl, they actually heavily cut that torture scene on the grounds, and this is studio notes, that mm -hmm. Lori Petty appeared too ugly while being tortured. Oh, so, like, shit. I think I read that at one point. In one of those, like, horror stories of, like, you know, male executives just being horrible. <laughs> And yes, stuff and movie industry stuff of like, yeah, she's being tortured, uh, way, way not hot enough, not into that. <laughs> and it's this movie largely made by women, yeah. you know. Like, well, I'll add one last thing about Pet Cemetery the remake Please, specifically yeah. that I just remembered. I actually put this on Twitter when it happened because it was so funny. I walked out to the lobby during the remake because I had to put this out. I was watching it <laughs> behind some like three guys, okay. And when John Lithgow takes his hat off. Mm -hmm. This dude in front of me said in like this like stereotypical stoner voice. He goes, whoa, it's Frasier. <laughs> <laughs> yes, John Lithgow, fa the famous Frasier. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So good. Like, All right. I don't. I was like, even I similar. I don't feel like. No, well, they're not. I started laughing. I, I, well, part of the reason I walked out in the lobby is because I was like snickering, and I was like, I got to get out of yeah. here. Yeah. But I also like. I was like, I got to share this because this is like the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard in a movie theater. Yeah, I would hate to be John Lithgow in the movie having to like follow up. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Herman Munster in the original. Yeah. One. Yeah, like, he's that road. Um, perfect casting that is like one of the most perfect casting oh, choices yeah 100 percent. like he's one of those guys that just absolutely steals that film because like yeah almost no one else is really all that memorable like the protagonist is really bland and stuff <laughs> like everyone's like playing it fairly muted um and then there's like him being like oh the old mick mac barrow ground kind <laughs> of, uh... <laughs> number five was forrest gump uh God. yeah speaking of soundtrack movies it is a sound. I've had people request that one. I'm kind of afraid to go back to it because I know that I'm not going to like it like I did when I was like 13 or 14. Right. I like, back then I watched it. I mean, that was one of those like anytime I would stop on it on HBO and I was not fit. I guess I'd have been 15, 16 mm -hmm. or whatever. Like I thought it was like the best movie ever made, you know? And, right. Uh, yeah. That is we are smack in the middle of like boomer self mythologizing at that point. Right. It was like we were right after or right in the middle of like the wonder years and shit and like all these other things about how Woodstock and well, actually going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, like the Beatles and all these things were the most important things that had ever happened. Like, um, and, uh, stuff. And so like Forrest Gump being this kind of like, I don't know, I don't want to say it's a, it's a metaphor for just white people in America in the 20th century, but it kind of feels like it a little bit. <laughs> like we just bumbled through all these other big events that were happening and we were doing our best. We had, we had a good heart. <laughs> or something i mean obviously that's not like you know the point of it that always just kind of like that movie being essentially a celebration of having been a person that was alive at a time um and stuff is just kind of like really really strange to me still <laughs> like I, I feel like our generation isn't doing that we're not like okay and like this new one's good it's about the 2000s and it starts off with all of us being like hey i can't wait to go see like can't hardly wait and like, <laughs> isn't, isn't, isn't seth green really funny I hope Y2K stuff. doesn't fuck up the showing. Yeah, and then <laughs> then we have like, um, and then we all experience 9-11 and it changes all of us. And then later on we <laughs> experience um, uh, Family Guy getting canceled. And then, uh, <laughs> then, but then like the DVD sets, like it kind of finds a new audience and comes back and then um, uh, Halo gets comes out and Grand Theft Auto and all this like different stuff. And then like the Wall Street crash and all these other things happen. It's like, I don't think any of us are like, yeah, well, you know what we need to do? We need to chronicle just what it was like to be someone around for that. It was just like, <laughs> you know, I know the 60s were a tumultuous decade, but that movie doesn't really touch on a lot of the actually important shit that happened. So, yeah. No, not anyway. at all. 
Uh, right, Forrest Gump. That movie, that's another movie I feel like that stayed in theaters for like, until now, basically. Like, it, it was just, because that was, that was a summer movie. That movie had been out already in the summer before, I believe. Like, that was not a movie that released in December. I think you it know had what? Just, you might be right. I think it had been in theaters for a really long time because I remember on like, I think it was like summer vacation, my mom took us to like a matinee or something and my older sister and my mom watched Forrest Gump and I had to go watch Baby's Day Out, <laughs> uh, which was which was funny. So like, and that, that was during the summer. So I'm like, it was at least in the theaters during that summer. So uh, unless that's a weird false memory of some sort, but yeah. Mandela affecting yourself about yeah Forrest I am like you know, For- Forrest Gump never existed actually we're just we're just we we've concocted it out of boomer nostalgia memories that we have like little bits of the of the Wonder Years and uh, all those movies about how like it was fine that you were a hippie that sold out because really that's what the real world is like and nothing is ever going to change and then let's elect Bill Clinton. Um, yeah. So this is like that movie yesterday, but only Forrest Gump never existed. Nor did, <laughs> nor did, nor did, nor did, yeah, nor did. You're, you're just okay. In the movie yesterday, do, does he profit off of this? Is he like, I don't I, know. I've never seen it. It, it seems terrible, but like, I, I want to assume that it's a guy who's like, Oh, I wrote all these songs and I profited off of it. And I like the idea of that movie with Forrest Gump. You're like, <laughs> you're like, Hey, life is like a box of chocolates. And someone's like, Hey, that's really good. Where'd you get that, man? And you're like, Oh, I wrote it. <laughs> Comet came by, fucked up the earth's water, brain, you know, messed with our rain cycles. And then like, there's that awesome shot of her riding up on her steed in that steampunk mask. Yeah. And, uh, the little animated frames that come in between, like it just has a real cool look right up front. The, I, I, I wrote a note when I was watching this where I was like, Oh, interesting, uh, time period we're in here because, the disaster is not nuclear war, nor is it climate change. It's a comet, like, and stuff. Where it's like, you made this movie a few years later, it would have been climate change. A few years earlier, it would have been nuclear war. Uh, yep. And stuff. We were in the 90s. History had ended, my friends. All we had to worry about <laughs> were comets. Here come a bunch of comet movies. Um, we're, nothing is going to decline. We're just going to hold steady until nature takes us out in some sort of freak <laughs> thing that we had nothing to do with. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point that i hadn't thought about too because this was right in the middle of like the asteroid movie phase too like yeah like like, we were we were going into that with like deep impact and armageddon would come like within a few years after this yes well all right up next we've got the magnificent bastards mockingbird girl uh scott wyland side project so this was recorded specifically for the album after courtney love approached scott wyland asking if he wanted to contribute a song and in the united states this actually peaked at number 27 on the mainstream rock chart and number 12 in the modern rock charts this yeah. is when SD like Scott. Look, okay, look, SDP. I've made no secrets about being one of my favorite bands of all time. Like I love SDP. Oh right, I yeah, think, they're they're very very good. Yeah, Wyland was just such an incredibly underrated vocalist, like a chameleon. The motherfucker was a chameleon. But the thing about this song is, I love I love this song. I've said, but like, oh I'm yeah, no, I absolutely love this. This is easily my favorite song on this record. Yeah, like, I've. Uh, it is never like whenever I've made like a playlist of any songs from this era, it, it is always on there. It is a very, it is the right kind of sort of like hazy, dumb, great song with like a high degree of romanticism to it. Mm-hmm. That is just like, it's got a vibe that is very, very of this era and stuff that I, um, I really like. It's also just like a really like well-written, very fun to sing along to song. Yeah. I legit, that was one of the. I, that was the reason why I actually wanted to pick up the soundtrack originally. Is I heard that song and I'm like, "Wow, this is great!" And it looks like this band only exists on this album. Who is this kind of thing? Yep. 
and stuff. Later finding out, like, oh, it's uh, Scott Weiland. Okay, that makes sense kind of thing. And I the, the phrase like, oh, you know, you magnificent bastard, those magnificent bastards, being kind of like, that's just like a phrase, a thing that people say. And so like, it was one of those things where it's like, you know, like when you hear a word and then like you learn a word and then you suddenly start hearing it everywhere. It was one of those things where it's like right after I heard of this band, heard someone in like a movie or read something where someone's like, oh, you magnificent bastard. And I was like, whoa. What? <laughs> and it just got like happening over and over again. But yeah, this song's great. This is a super, well, super good song. All right. So up next, you got Joan Jett and Paul Westerbergs with Let's Do It, Let's Fall in Love. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but originally this was supposed to be, instead of Paul Westerberg, Greg Graffin from Bad Religion. I did know that uh, because I still listen to Bad Religion and I had been looking at the Wikipedia page for, um, I think it was Wikipedia uh, page for this, but like for Stranger Than Fiction, uh, their album that had just come out that year, which is a really, really good sort of like a, a kind of like a almost stereotypical, if you're going to pick your favorite Bad Religion album, it's like that or like one of the early 2000s albums or something yeah. like that. But like, um, uh, you're going to get so much angry fan letter, like letters from people who are like, listen, that those are not even the places to pick their best work from. I like how, I, by the way, I didn't say comment. I said fan letters. This is great. I've, I've fully transcended back into the 90s. Uh, you were going to get so many a, fan letters. A pigeon, a pigeon is going to land yeah, on my porch yes, with a little. You're going to get like a telegram that's like, um, actually, recipe for hate is better. Stop. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I do like the version in my head of Greg Graffin in this. Doing this is uh, just amazing. I do not know what that sounds like. That is I, I, so weird. It's so great. Yeah. I love Bad Religion. And I I would love to hear that version. I will say that I do think it's better for having Westerberg in it, though. Um, <laughs> only, and again, that's not a knock on Greg Graffin. No, it's just uh, like, I don't understand how his voice works for this, like, at all. Because no. he's... His entire shtick is he's like kind of giving you a lecture from the stage, like in a good way, usually. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, like you have to have somebody who sounds like they're having fun for this song to work. <laughs> yeah. And like Greg is the kind of guy who's pointing at you while he's while he's singing a lot and stuff. Like there's a lot of pointing going on. I think like a friend of mine actually saw them live once. I've never seen them. And he's like, he's pointing at the audience when he's saying a lot. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like it. It sounds like a, a band that, that points. I've been listening to a lot of Bad Religion lately, like uh, a decent chunk uh, at, uh, while I'm working. I just have like a long playlist and stuff. And it's amazing to me that that band was around for so long and like had like at least two golden eras. running in nowhere to hide the beast is coming and he's got you in his sights he ain't gonna miss you and he ain't gonna mess around if you're a movie with original songs the soundtrack of 